0: Hi, my name is Dan Ariely, and welcome to Arming the Donkeys, a weekly podcast about science. Every week, I will talk to one researcher about one project, who'll have a chat about what they found and what it means for our lives.
1: Dan's guest this week is Leif Nelson, assistant professor of marketing at the Rady School of Management at the University of California, San Diego.
0: So I'm sitting here, we're having a sushi, and what else? Uh, Besides sushi, uh, edamame goes uh, Japanese food. Okay. And we're in San Diego, in La Jolla, actually. And I'm sitting with Leif Nelson. And you're kind of a skinny guy, right? Has it bothered you for a long time that you're so skinny? I I tend to think of it as more of an asset than a shortcoming, but it's a reasonable question to ask. Um, Have you tried to see what what good being skinny is or what's the negative effects of uh, being so skinny? I have. Interestingly, Dan, in, in past research, that...
1: Mostly, uh, the interest in the topic comes from cultural anthropology, uh, biological anthropology as well, I suppose. Basically looking at across various cultures, across geographical locations, variation in what men and women see as an ideal body weight in opposite sex others. So, So what differences are there? So first, the easy side is that women don't really care about men. They oh care. my
0: goodness, that's good, huh?
1: Yeah, you know, it, it benefits all of us a great deal that are men. Mm. Uh, on the other hand, they do care about all kinds of things like wealth and status, but barring that, they don't care so much about how much a man weighs. The opposite is clearly not true the other direction. Men care a great deal about how much a woman weighs. And there, the overwhelming relationship is that in in poor places, men prefer women that are slightly heavier. In rich places, men prefer women that are slightly thinner. Wait, so, so when people are poor, like... Poor countries? People want chubby women? That's basically the finding. And it's funny. Poor countries doesn't really capture it in the sense that it's something on the order of in – we think in sort of Western uh, – in the United States, Western Europe, as ourselves as normal. Well, by that standard, we would have said that about 80 to 85 percent of other cultures prefer a much heavier ideal. So it's unclear what the norm is. But
0: but, but the, the, the weight in the U.S. is increasing all the time. Aren't we changing with the – with the, ch- with the times and preferring uh, people that are actually available? So it's, the
1: argument actually op- largely goes the other direction, right? That you say in mm-hmm. opulent times people do gain weight and to a certain extent there's an argument that that's what leads to the prioritization of the person who is successfully healthy and skinny despite
0: the abundance of resources. So, so in poor countries they appreciate somebody who is heavy? because they actually have enough money to get food and in rich countries they prefer people who are skinny because they have time to go to the gym? There's
1: something... The argument's actually pretty close to that, of all things, that there, you say... In like evolutionary terms, we seek what's best. And if you say, oh, my gosh, there's scarce resources, what matters most is starvation, then you look for the person who clearly is at lowest risk for malnutrition, that is the heavier person. So, so when you're starving, you want somebody who would survive the next drought or something like that? Conceptually, something like that. Or even, even the person who might send signals that they have access to resources that will keep them Uh, Surviving.
0: Okay, so this is just kind of evolutionary psychology uh, nonsense, or is there some evidence for this?
1: Mm. Uh, Well, on that side, you might say there's a lot. There's a large element of nonsense. That is, but it's to be fair, it is one of the. It is one of my favorite observations in that. Uh, it is detected by anthropologists with no stake in the outcome, some more than 50 years ago. And only much more recently, have sort of the evolutionists stepped in to try to offer an explanation. Now their explanation is still a little bit psychologically impoverished, but they can try to explain it in evolutionary terms. So how could you test something like this? So the, there's two ways to go. One way is to continue to, is to hope for changes in
0: evolutionary pressures. So. Uh, Terry P- a famine in some kind of country or particularly big shipment of food, and you want to see changes <laughs> in preferences according to that?
1: That's right. I like the big shipment of food. Uh, as long as you randomly assignment that, assign that, that would be good. Uh, this actually, a fellow, Terry Pettijohn uh, at Mercyhurst College, has shown that he actually looks at simple temporal dynamics within a culture. So in the U.S., he shows that as the GDP fluctuates, so do... Playmate centerfold body dimensions. Basically, when times are lean in the U.S., playmates get a little bit more plump. When times are good, they get a
0: little more thin. Do they get as plump as uh, people in, in regular society? Uh, no, they don't no. even come... They so, don't there's slight even. slight changes. <laughs> slight okay, uh, so what have you done?
1: Right, so I took a slightly different approach. Mine was to say, uh, well, let's assume that this is true. There must be some psycholo- psychological explanation, and... If that's the case, you want to say, well, wait a minute. In order for it to be true, people need to A, perceive variation in cultural resources and B, integrate it into their decision-making. And the fact of the matter is they're disastrous on both in the abstract. If you ask people, what's the state of the economy, barring the current circumstance where everyone agrees on that, in general, essentially their answer strongly reflects their political opinion much more than anything else. The one other thing it reflects is whether they've personally lost a job in the last couple of months. If you have, you say the economy's bad. If you haven't, you say the economy's pretty good. So they're not good on that dimension. The second part is when they're choosing their, their mate, that is, men choosing what they find attractive in a woman, if you ask them, why do you find this woman attractive? It goes without saying that they don't say, well, in times like these, I prefer a woman that weighs more or weighs less. So people clearly don't have a good intuition about these uh, preferences. That's right. It's, a, it's, it's utterly opaque to them. Now, well, so? So what it means is it, you should be able to, if that's the case, vary uh, the individual subjective imp, uh, uh, experience of poverty or lack of... So movement. you can
0: go and fire people, basically. Make them think, think they're losing
1: their jobs? Uh, that would be a little bit more involving than what I went for. I want the simple proxy for such a thing. And there's two ways to go. You can say you basically are trying to manipulate situationally the uh, the sense of poverty, and there's two ways. One would be financial. One would be caloric. Let's talk about financial. How do you make people feel poor? So, basic. There's a few ways to go, but the way I did was actually very simple. It borrows from some simple survey research that says if you if you ask people to identify how much money they have in the bank, they'll give you an answer. But, the way, but then if you ask them, how much money is that? Like, how, how wealthy are you? The way they answer is by comparing it to whatever the salient standard is. And it turns out how you ask the first question often contains a standard. So how much money do you have? I asked undergraduates, half of them, I said, how much money do you have? Is it uh, on a scale from $0 to $500 and over? And even undergrads said, wow, I'm towards the top of that scale. These were undergrads in Princeton, probably. That's correct. These were Princeton undergrads. So, yeah, the $500 is is, uh, peanuts for them. Uh, But I asked another group. I said, how much money do you have in the bank on a scale from $0 to $500,000 and over?
0: And now, hopefully, they answered lower on that scale.
1: Yes, fortunately for my own subjective well-being, they were actually quite low on that scale as well. Okay, so
0: some people were made to feel rich and some people were made to feel poor. And then what?
1: And then I essentially asked them an utterly straightforward set of questions that said, all right, picture your ideal ideal mate, and how much would that person weigh? And they write down a number on, in terms of pounds. And what you find is that men who feel poor
0: prefer a woman that weighs more than do men who feel rich. So it's not just a cultural variation and not just a temporal mm-hmm. variation, but actually you say that at the moment you can get people to, <clears throat> to feel more poor and therefore want more plumpy Women and the opposite as well. So, what what does it tell you about dating? I mean, can you give some dating advice? I mean, should you? Uh, what what? How can how can a woman who is plump, for example,
1: be successful? So, it you can you if you push it all the way to limits and you take my effect seriously, and God knows you don't really have to. The effect is true, but the effect size is rather modest. We're on the talking on the order of three or four pounds in change in ideals. But say you take it very seriously, you're walking that line. You want to maximize your opportunities. You want to find a circumstance where you're, where the male that you desire is going to feel a little bit less wealthy. Maybe it means fi- approaching that person in a cocktail party with wealthy
0: others. How about, how about taking them to an expensive meal and eating the lobster? That will make them feel <laughs> uh, they're poor. And by, by that definition, could this be a part of the mechanism of going to expensive restaurants for women? Ah, that's interesting. Now, mind you, it posits that those women who benefit the most
1: from a change in that direction would be the ones most likely to go to the expensive meal, but for
0: all I know, that's a plausible inference. Okay, last question. How has it changed your uh, success or approach to your wife, Ah, uh, Now, my wife,
1: uh, who is, of course, the ideal body weight, regardless of what that might be, uh, is... Uh, I think that I try not to manipulate her on these, on, in these dimensions, yeah. so, and I think she doesn't manipulate me. It is possible that every now and then that she uh, perhaps feeds me a little bit better or a little bit worse or m- complements my salary or perhaps undermines it as well, but mostly I think she recognizes what any reasonable person is that says, that's a cute effect you've discovered, Leif, but really it's not that serious. Thank you very much. Thanks, Dan. This has been Arming the Donkeys, a weekly podcast with Dan Ariely, professor of behavioral economics at Duke University. Learn more at predictablyirrational.com.